Ho, ho, ho. Nice cannonball, Santa. Welcome to the Pool Nation podcast, where it's all pool talk. And we ain't talking about netting and jetting or splashing and dashing. Unless it's the reindeer. We're talking about becoming a nation of pool pros. We talk about the latest products, trends, and training in the pool industry. Now let's welcome your host. With over a decade of industry insider experience and still the reigning champion of Marco Polo, it's undecided if he's on the naughty or nice list. <laughs> Edgar De Jesus and his co-hosts, JJ Flawless and Zach the Pool Boy Nicholas. Nation live podcast with myself, your host, Edgar De Jesus. And yes, I am the reigning champion of Marco Polo, along with John JJ Flawless, the fastest netter in the West, and the famous Zach, the pool boy Nicholas. Today, we continue our conversation on the three core segments of your business and we dive into operations. I want to welcome everyone to our live podcast, the podcast where it's all pool talk. And we ain't talking about netting and jetting or splashing and dashing. We're talking about becoming a nation of pool pros. And yes, we will talk about the latest products, trends, and training in the pool industry. But before we get started today, I want to thank our sponsors for this podcast, the Ultimate Pool Tools, the SPPA, PoolInvoice.com, Blu-ray XL, and Aquastar Pool Products. We want to thank them for their continued support. Zach, believe it or not, John is not here. And tell me that I did not just nail that intro. You did great. I, just, I, fr- I freaking nailed it, right? Of course, the day that John's not here to believe me <laughs> that I nailed it. So I know what he's going to say. He's going to go, oh, you pre-recorded that and then you edited it in. But Zach, get my back here. You got it. He's never going to believe it, though. He's never. It doesn't matter what I do. He's not going to believe me. <laughs> <laughs> so Zach, good morning. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm excited to get into today's topic because this is really where my passion lies. The business side of things, the operations, the strategy. I think these are the things that can make huge differences in our companies. And I think it's once we start to understand these concepts and really start to implement these things into our businesses, that's when the real strides financially come. So I'm really excited to talk about these things today. Oh, I agree. I think once you start to get into strategy and you start to break those down, those are the things that create the ability to take your company to the next level, right? And and it's all baby steps and you don't see it all the time. But eventually when you stop and you take a step back and you look at everything that you've accomplished, you kind of go, damn, right? It was those small stepping stones that, that started to lay the foundation to get there. So Everybody listening, John is out, and just like last time, it was with Zach, right, Zach? We were kind of going through negotiations with you, and you wanted to fly first class, and you wanted to do all that. We're kind of going through negotiations with John right now, and he stepped it up, Zach, because you at least wanted to fly first class. He wants a private jet. Yeah, I know. I'm feeling kind of cheap now. (laughs) I should uh, revisit the table. I have a new offer to make. It's okay. Mine is, uh, my requirement is, I guess I ride a bike everywhere now that I go and show that I go, I got I to gotta get a bike in order to be able to. Anyways, everybody listening, John is out. He is got a busy schedule, kind of getting some things done and he'll be out for this podcast, but he will be back uh, hopefully next week and we will get things going. So Zach, what is your Christmas looking like? Are you guys ready for Christmas? I mean, we're just a couple, couple of days away. I think Christmas or any major holiday is a lot like the whole, are you ready for this upcoming vacation or trip that you're taking? I don't think you could ever be ready. 
we're going to have a white Christmas this year and we're super excited about it. We're taking the family up to North Idaho where I'm from to visit some family and they're having tons of snow. It's very wintry up there. So the kids will get to do the sledding, build the snowman, kind of have a white Christmas, and then it'll be the first time the baby's ever seen any of it. So we're super excited to take a break and get away. So that's super exciting. So you're actually going out to see your mom. Yes, all of my parents. So my mom, my stepdad, my stepmom, my dad, and then all my family's up there. So a lot of them have never even met the baby. Oh, that's right. There will be a lot of family coming over, so we're super pumped. It's going to be super cool. Just kind of sit back. I'm kind of concerned about being trapped, though, <laughs> with winter. Like, usually we go up in the summer. You know, we're out. We're doing outings. We're getting out doing things. We're outside. But it's going to be in the teens, if not lower, temperature-wise. Uh, you would hate it. But I'm kind of wondering how it's going to go just being stuck inside with my kids for a week. So here's what I'm going to tell you. So Leanne's dad used to be live out in the middle of nowhere. It's Battle Mountain, Nevada. And we used to go out there and it snows out there. It was kind of nice because it forces you to not be able to do anything. And it forces you to just kind of relax and spend time with the wife, the kids, the the parents. So it definitely can be a, a good thing. And the beauty is you're at your parents' house. So it's comfortable. It's not like you're going to an uncle's house or something like that. You're going to be completely comfortable. Yeah. No, we're pumped. I thought the same thing. I'm like, it's either going to go to one extreme or the other. But like you said, normally when we go on these trips, we have this itinerary, do this, do that, go, go, go. And by the time we get back, we were more exhausted than before we got ready to go on the trip. So it should be good. We're excited. By the time you come back, you need a vacation from the vacation just to be able to recoup, yeah, exactly. right? <laughs> Here's the one thing that I am going to tell you that I'm, I'm completely jealous about. So what's your mom's name? Tori. So I obviously lost my mom a while ago. And so I do have to tell you that I dig it that your mom will go on the post and make comments and is engaged in all that because... As you get older, you grow and your relationships change, right? When you're younger and you're in your 20s, you know, and you're trying to figure out who you are, live your life, do all that thing. And then as you get older, you start to have kids. It's amazing how all those relationships start to change, even with your brothers and sisters. And so it's awesome to see your mom really engaged and following what you do. And she's very complimentary and all that kind of stuff. So I just hope that you go out there and you have a phenomenal time and that you enjoy that. And then what we're going to have to do is at some point, and I know she's going to listen to this, and this is why I'm saying it, Zach, we're going to have to have her on the podcast. So <laughs> there's the laugh. <laughs> Spill all my dirty laundry. I always tell my kids, I'm like, when I was little, I never did that, or I did that. And then I get around my parents, they're like, oh, that's BS. Like, you obviously don't remember when you were little. And all the gra- all the things that grandparents do. So I, Dylan used to be five years old, and we would go to Puerto Rico, and uh, we were like, easy on the soda, right? Like not too much sugar, none of that kind of stuff. It was the first kid. And my mom would be like, come here, you want Coke? Come on, let me Coke. Right before bed, you want Coke? Yeah, Coke, have some Coke. Want candy before bed? Here, have some candy before bed. So those are the things that Uh, that you remember. So so big, huge shout out to your mom. And I'm super excited. You guys are going to go out and spend time with the family out there. I do have to tell you, now that we're talking about this and family and stuff like that, let me tell you what happened to me this week. So my 16-year-old, And I have to get better. I have to confess. I have to get better because I don't do good at this, Zach. (laughs) And we've joked around when my daughters bring a boyfriend or something like that. I go pretty intense, right? 
so I guess there's some new boy that she likes or whatever and wanted the boy to come over. And so she she does this, hey, dad, can I have a conversation with you? And I'm like, what, what is this you want to have a conversation? Yeah, I come upstairs to my room. So I go upstairs and, I sit, and she goes, sit down. And I'm like, what? And she goes, sit right there on the bed. And I sit down and she goes, okay, dad, I want to have this conversation with you about this boy. And of course, I started to make faces. I'm like, oh, here we go again. I'm like, great. And she's, she goes, you do that every time, dad. You need to stop that. You need to listen to what it is that I'm saying. I'm trying to have a conversation with you. And I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, okay, go ahead. And then she's like, well, you know, there's this boy. And she said his name and kind of wasn't listening. And just natural reaction. I made another face, Zach. And she got so mad at me. She kicked me out of the room. She's like, I'm trying to have a conversation with you and you're not listening. Get out. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Sorry. I'm sorry. That's just natural reaction. It's all good. And it didn't work. She kicked me out of the room and she didn't tell me. So you never found out what the conversation was about. I never found out. So of course I come downstairs to Leanne and I go, are you kidding me? you know that she's going to have a conversation about a boy and you don't prep me? Like, you send me into the line of fire blind? Come on, man. (laughs) I'm following quickly in your footsteps with this stuff and I'm not looking forward to it. So prepare, my friend, because your daughter's 11 now. Yes. So she will be there very soon, quicker than you think. I know. I've told Leslie a couple times lately that I think I'm going to just have to turn over the reins to you for a while, and I'm just going to be here. (laughs) Anyway, so CNF, if you listen to this, I apologize. I need to work on that. I need to get better. I need to listen without making faces or doing any of that kind of stuff and get myself in my tr- in trouble with my daughters. But anyways, Brianna's back from OU. She came back yesterday, which is awesome. So my sister's flying in for Christmas and uh, with her kids and stuff like that. So we'll have some family time together, which is what we are definitely looking forward to. All right, guys. Last week, we got this question that was sent in, and this kind of broke down the next series of podcasts that we're going to be doing here. And the question that was sent in last week was, hey, guys, I've been listening for a while and love everything that you guys do. I have started looking at my company and looking at the different areas of my business. I guess I'm trying to divide my business into sections so that I can focus on each of those sections. What would you say are the sections that I should divide my business into? And so after Zach, John, and I talked, we came up with, and Zach kind of came up with the name of it, the three core segments of your business. And that was to break it down into operational customer relations slash customer service, and then third financials. And really the goal is to take each one of those sections and start attacking each one of those sections to really start to create the foundation for your business. So we talked on the podcast and we said, hey, go on to Pool Nation, submit questions, submit some of the topics that you want us to get into. And we're going to try to cover all the ones that were sent in for operational. So we're going to try to do that Today, if we don't get to all of them, what we'll do is we'll do maybe maybe a special episode to be able to finalize those that we didn't get to, but we want to try to get to all of them. So I think we have seven or eight that were sent in. I was shocked, actually, that rapidly we got the questions and super pumped. I think John mentioned it last week. It's just, it's really cool to see the engagement that people are listening, people have questions, and they're willing to step out of their comfort zone and submit those questions so that we can answer them. And I do want to say that, and I mentioned it last week as well, that three core segments here, right? But as you grow, these segments will break into more of their own things, and that list grows of things that you break and segment your business into. 
Yeah, and there's also a couple of things, and I'm going to mention it a couple of times throughout this podcast, and that is that when you start, don't start too aggressive. Good natural reaction is I'm going to go into these five things or these seven things or these 10 things. And so what you want to do is you want to create the rhythm in which you're going at. So I would really recommend grabbing something that's very easy to do, something that you can accomplish in a week or two, and put that into play and check, right? And then you get the next one and check. Don't try to do too many at a time and don't try to do one that's going to take you six months to a year to do because it gets you off of the rhythm. And the other thing that you need to understand is there is never an end. There's always the things that come up in business that are going to require you to put and address certain things in place. So don't ever have the expectation that if you do these 28 steps, right, that you came up with, your business is going to be perfect because that's not the case. Things will come up that you didn't even think about that are going to require you to do that. But what's important is that you grab some of these sections and you start checking them off so that you lay that foundation as your company grows. So we had people submit those. So Zach, what I want to do is start breaking down into some of those. A lot of what I will talk about is obviously what I did with my company and how I did things. And we'll kind of bounce back and forth with how you have them set up because your operation is bigger than what mine was. So we'll go back and forth on those. Here's the first one that was sent in and it was inventory. I'm at the stage where I'm growing and needing to get a handle on inventory how do I go about setting up some processes? And so, Zach, do you want to go first or you want me to go first? No, go ahead. Okay. I'm going to start off with when you start an inventory process, you need to understand right off the bat that you are now adding a process and that you're adding a task of the things that you need to do. And what do I mean by that? Let me take a step back for just a second. When I started my business, I wanted to do a lot of things and put a lot of processes in place, but you have to be careful that that process doesn't create more work for you and there's no benefit to that process, okay? So as you're putting these things into play, make sure that they're processes that you're putting in place, but don't create more work for you with no benefit, okay? So an example, for me to sit down and put an inventory process in place when I was a single polar, it didn't make sense. It didn't make sense to have a checklist and go through all these things because I'm the only person, so my inventory is not going to disappear, right? So it sounded great at some point to go, oh my God, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to have this checklist, and I'm going to write down, and then all of a sudden I'm going, I'm a single polar, I'm just creating more work for myself. So as you go through putting these processes together, make sure that they're things that are going to A, fix a problem, or make that process a lot quicker, not create more work for you with no benefit, okay? Because I've talked about it all the time. Don't do things just to do things. And I'll give you a perfect example. If you have an app that tracks your chemical readings and tracks the chemicals that you used, and if you're not using that data for anything, you're just creating more work for yourself. So it has to be I'm going to track my chems, I'm going to add the chems, and then I'm going to learn what my cost per pool is with the chemical cost. If you're doing it to get to that and every month you're going over your chemical cost, then yes, it's worth it, okay? But don't track things and don't do things if you are not doing anything at the end with it because you're just creating more work for yourself. Move on to the next step that is going to be something that you could do. So 
With that said, Zach, you know, I grew to a point where it made sense to keep certain things in inventory, right? Once you start to have a guy, two guys, three guys, certain things need to be kept in inventory so that you're not constantly loading the truck and, hey, I don't have any reagents or, hey, I need a brush. I don't have a brush and they're going to have to go to the pool store to buy a a brush, right? You want to keep certain things. I'm not saying go in there and have a heater and three heaters and three pumps. And it's all going to be dependent upon how you grow and how much business you do as to what you're going to have to do. The other thing, and I think, Zach, you agree with me on this, and this is your mentality, and we're going back to it. When I was doing pools, I didn't stock a lot of equipment because that's what I had the distributor for, right? I, why would I buy a heater and put it in my garage if I didn't have a heater to sell? During COVID, times change, and it was the other way around, right? It was like you had to procure equipment and have it saved so that you would be able to install it. But now those times are changing again. We're going backwards to where everything's plenty in stock, all that. So you don't want to have a lot of money tied in equipment that you sell every six months or a year from now. But it will make sense to inventory certain things that you use on a constant basis, right? And it could be the reagents, it could be hammerhead bags, it could be clips, it could be some of the jandy valves that you use them more often. So I did most of my repairs, Zach, myself. I had on my truck the things that I needed to use. So an example, master, I had tons of master temps, did a lot of repairs on master temps. So of course, I would keep some of the boards, some of the sensors, I would keep some of those things that I would go through often, but it would only be one or two, right? Because what I didn't want is be out at a job, have to replace a temp sensor, and then not be able to have it with me and have to go back to the store. But for me, it was different, Zach, because I'm the one that's buying those things and I have them in my truck. They're not going to disappear. Plus, if I buy one, I know that I used it and I don't have to worry about it. But as I started to grow and I had some of the guys going out on a daily basis to do things, I did have to start putting some things in inventory. So what I did is I went to Harbor Freight, and I don't know if you've seen them, Zach, it's the trays with the red and the yellow little trays, and some are bigger and some are smaller. So I bought one of those. And what I did is I went in and I stocked a lot of the things that they would need. So if you had a tab feeder, the little valves that would break, we'd have a couple of those, we'd have reagents, we'd have clips, a lot of the jandy check valves that would go bad, we'd have those in stock. And so we had a lot of those miscellaneous things that they're going to use, but you have two or three guys now and you need to have those in inventory because it's going to do two things, Zach. One, if you have it in inventory, they could take it from there. And when they go to the customer's house, they could just fix it rather than going there. Hey, Edgar, I don't have a check valve. I need to go get it. So now I got to stop doing what I'm doing and go over to the pool store to buy one and then come back. So that's going to start costing you more money because you're having... If he's not able to finish all his pools and now he's got to go back, now you're talking about overtime, you're talking about all these extra costs. So for me, that's what I did, Zach, and it's very simple. I had that tray and then I had a little, I created a little printout and then I had a little sheet where they would put in the date, what they took, and then what customer it was for. And then that would allow me to, A, keep track of the inventory, and then more importantly is I would know what customer needed to be charged for that part. And so what I would do is just once a week, I would go through the list, see what we bought, and then those would be replaced. 
the way that I did it was in what, what's called a par level. And the way that I always did it is, let's say that I was going to have, I don't know, a check valve, right? So I would always want to keep three of those in stock. So every week, if I went and one was used, I would replace that one. And the reason that I did that is because some of the parts, one week you might go through all three of them. So what I didn't want to do is not order that other one, and then that week I needed three, and now I'm having to go to the pool store, and I'm having to go back. So it's called keeping a par level, and that is that you have a certain amount that you're going to keep in inventory, and whatever is used, you replace so that you never run out of it. And so that's what I did, Zach. It was nice and simple. I didn't have to do a lot of parts and heaters and pumps like that, but what do you have to have in place for your business? Yeah, I think we're very similar on that. And I'll dive into it. And I kind of want to make a little disclaimer as well. And I'm not some highly educated business person with a degree in anything. And the things that I talk about and I'm going to go through are just experiences and the things that I've learned along the way. So I just want everyone to keep in mind that they all have different experiences and need to take different approaches to these things at time. But my goal when talking about these things is to hopefully provide enough substance that it just gets the mind going and gets everyone thinking about their own situation and how to make improvements on that. With that being said, when it comes to inventory, I had the same approach as you. For the longest time, it was just distribution can be my inventory house. They can stock it. We're fortunate enough that we have a distributor within 15 minutes of us. So we would get daily deliveries and we would only order expensive or large items when we had an approved estimate with that item. And I didn't want to keep that stuff on hand for a couple of reasons. And one was it takes up space. And then the other thing is, like you said, it's like storing cash on your shelves. Then if you're not moving your products quick enough or you're negatively impacting your cash flow at that point. So I, di- I didn't like doing that. And like you said, when COVID hit, yeah, go ahead. That's a big thing that big companies do, like the big companies, whether it's clothing, whether it's Macy's or it's Walmart or it's any of that kind of stuff. They understand that product on the shelf is cash that they need to flow back to the business. So for our business, that's huge. And I hadn't looked at it from that standpoint, but Zach, but that's huge. That's a great point. Yeah. And I want to use that cash for other things like growth and wraps and things like that. And when COVID hit, like you mentioned, And all the issues and everything that caused all the supply chain to slow down, we had to start stocking some of the bigger items because we didn't know if we were going to get something for two months, three months, four months or whatever. So we had to just put orders in and get what we could get. And to put it in a perspective, I think we would have nine, 10 variable speed pumps at a time. And let's just say they cost a thousand bucks each. That's like having nine or $10,000 sitting on the shelf. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to the smaller items, though, or the more commonly used items, like you mentioned, sensors, check valves, things like that, control boards, filter elements, and so on, we keep a lot of that on hand and we keep it on the service vehicles. And, you know, you learn something new every day. We use the, I didn't know it was called the PARTH method, but that's what we do. So same as you, we might establish that we want four Jandy check valve internals on the van at all times. So if we go out and we sell two today, we're going to immediately order two to replace that. Because like you said, next week it might be four. Next week it might be one. You never know. But we just want to keep that number on there because the first time completions are huge. And that's the goal. Ultimately, that's where our profitability lies, right? Absolutely. So if we're not completing the jobs on the first visit and we're having to make a second visit. And what I found is generally 
when we sell, you, there occasionally you sell a variable speed pump, you can get it done right then and there. But generally when you have a larger sale, you need to go back and gather everything up, gather your tools, get all the parts online to complete that job. So generally you're going to have a second visit or they need time to think about it and approve estimate that big. So generally you're not going to have first time completions with those larger sales. So I try to free up space in the van. You know, I'd rather not have a heater on there or two pumps and have those smaller items that I know we're generally going to close that sale and complete it in the first visit. We don't currently have an official inventory system. There's many out there. We've messed around with some in the past, but we don't store enough inventory to make it worth it. And like you said, you start implementing things like that, there is a huge time commitment just in setting it up and then also managing it. And you got to have your counts right. You've got to put your inputs. Everything's got to have a PO when it comes in. You need to make sure that you're putting in the right number that you received. The times that we sampled some of these and tried it, the count would get way off. Well, that's data that doesn't do anything for us if it's not accurate. So we just backed off and said, we're not there yet. And we we do hand counts and things like that. Yeah. Now, let me ask you, you talk about stocking the more commonly used items. So how do you determine what to keep and how much of that to keep? I do a few different things. The main one is we review periodically our sales reports and see how much we're selling of each item. And I want to add, if you don't have a system that can print a report or give you a report on what you're selling, you can go to wherever you're buying your parts and you can ask them for a purchase report and kind of look at this a different way. And it'll show you how many of whatever product you're buying from them. And you're able to rank that and see what items you're buying the most of. So after reviewing any sales reports or purchase reports, I'll make a list of the top like 40 to 50. I use Excel. A lot of this stuff you can get sent to you or export it in Excel format. And for those of you that know how to use Excel, you can rank things and sort it by different columns. So I'll sort to the top 40 or 50 items that we're purchasing. And from there, I'll generally look at keeping those items on hand. Now, one thing that for us that I have to keep in mind is PVC fittings is generally, or lube or silicone or glue, things like that are generally the highest ranking items. So I tend to sort those out and know that we always need to have some of that on hand. And then I look at the items after that. And then once I've sorted those top 40 to 50 I will still scan my report for the remaining items because the larger items that cost more, you're most likely selling a lot less, but you have to keep in mind, let's say, for example, you sell 25 salt systems in a year, right? That's about one every two weeks or so. So knowing that, I would keep one of those salt systems on hand, and that way when we do sell that, it's right there at the shop or right there on the van, and then we can move forward with getting that done more quickly for the customer. So after that, as a tech starts running low on a certain item, it's really up to them to just let us know, hey, I use these today. Also, our office manager will kind of monitor as they're building estimates. Okay, we use seven Jandy Valvo ring kits on this job, so I'm going to go ahead and order some more Jandy Valvo rings from that point. And this isn't a fail-safe system. Like you mentioned, as you grow, you have more risk with theft, loss, damage items, things like that. So that's where one of those bigger systems where you would do counts and count against what you have and who got what. 
and get a more accurate picture of what's going on. But we really haven't run into those issues at that point. So there hasn't been a need for that yet. Here's the other thing with that, Zach, is, you know, you're at the stage where you don't need to be there. But once you get to that stage, obviously your revenues are going up. So you're going to have to be able to afford somebody to manage some of those procedures and things. And then you might have whatever it is. And it could be that you have a guy that does less pools and that's their job to come and come back on a weekly basis and maintain inventory and keep track of everything and all that. But just understand that as you grow, you're going to be able to afford to get some of these people to do some of those things and put them into play. Absolutely. And that's something everyone should keep in mind that you know, when we talk about costs and knowing your costs and knowing your prices and what you need to charge and having a plan and a vision and what you want to grow to, everything you add is going to require more work and more commitment, more systems in place. And a lot of times those come with additional costs. So everyone should absolutely keep that in mind. Now, I want to switch over because we do something a little different when it comes to our maintenance brushes, our reagents, nets, and so on. So we have a room where all of that is stored and we have a sign-out sheet. And then we have a couple authorized people that are able to go in that room. So if someone needs a brush, they'll approach someone, hey, I need a new brush because mine broke. So they'll go in that room, get a new brush, and then we have a a sign-out sheet similar to what you were talking about that states who took the item out of the room, who it was distributed to, why it was needed, how many are left, how many were given, date, things like that. And that's just a handwritten sheet, and that just helps us at a glance. We can take it and be like, okay, we've used all this. Let's restock some of these items. Yeah, no, that's all great points. And again, just remember that everybody is at a different stage in their journey. And then as you start to level up and you get bigger, you will need inventory systems in place, and whether it's software, whatever, to be able to track All of that. And then we're not even talking, Zach, about the fact that prices of these products change, especially over the last two years. That's something that you continuously have to look at and make sure that you're keeping an eye on is that those things aren't changing in price and you're just going, hey, just give me two. Because you know how it is. You get to the counter and you're like, oh, give me two of this and three of that and two of this. And sometimes you don't even look at the price, but it's very important to be able to continuously look at those prices and make the adjustments so you could bid properly. Yeah. One other thing I want to touch on, and I get asked this question a lot, is how do you organize your inventory? And especially when it comes to the van, I get guys locally and they're like, hey, how do you set this up? And one thing that we've done that has worked awesome is I buy these little I think they're called like corrugated boxes or something on Amazon. You buy them, they usually come in packs of 25 and they have all these different sizes. And so what you get is a flat box and you fold it up and it's a low box and it's angled at the front. So you could easily reach in and grab something and they store perfectly on the van shelf. So I'll have different boxes and we'll put O-rings and we'll sort sensors and we'll sort control boards. And then I got a little label maker that I hook up to the computer and it has its own little software and I go in there and I'll type like Jandy Valvo ring kit and I'll put the part number of the one that we sell. Because one thing that we do is we are particular in which item we buy because for example, you might be looking at product A and there might be a bunch of different manufacturers that make that. There might be generic brands, things like that. So we always pick, okay, this is what we're ordering in this instance. Here's the part number. 
I put it on the label, I put it on the box, I put it on the shelf, and then we organize. And it just makes it a whole lot easier for the people that are using these things on a daily basis to stay organized. So that's what we do to keep the van organized. You know, one of the funny things is now that you say that, I remember at the beginning just having the trays and just having the items in there and just going, items there. You you know that the item is there. But then something as simple as they all got used up and then you're like, oh, what was supposed to go in this tray? What did we have here? We're missing something. And then you don't remember what it is. So something as simple as labeling all of the trays. And we went through and we labeled each tray. That made a huge difference in just the ease of looking at the products and doing all that. And it might be for something that you don't move all the time, but it's a one time. And then you do use it the one time. It was a way of us remembering that we had to stock those products all the time. Yeah, you know me. I geeked out at first and I had barcodes and I went and got every UPC code for every product, which is like, I think, nine or 12 digits long. And I keyed it in. I'd be on the computer in the shop until midnight for days on end and getting it and labeling it. And the whole thing was, is that with Pool Corp, I know they have an app in Pool 360 and you could actually pull up a scanner on your phone and you could scan it and take you... And again, that's the perfect example of all this extra time and investment to this extra step that no one ever took and was just fruitless and wasted effort. So, you know, over time, we just went to labeling with part number and the name. Yeah. And that's the part that we were talking about, right? That it's very important that you understand that you're going to have processes and procedures in place. But there's going to be certain things that what they do is they consume more time rather than have a benefit to it. So... Hey, Zach, let's do this. Let's take a word from our sponsors. When we come back, we will jump into the next one. The Hyperpole from Ultimate Pool Tools is a pool care pole designed by pool professionals for pool professionals, featuring precision-crafted carbon fiber and stainless steel construction. Go to ultimatepooltools.com or Instagram at ultimatepooltools. Pool pros have specific needs when it comes to general liability insurance. The SPPA program has you covered. With three tailored and customizable general liability options, SPPA makes it easy for pool pros to feel secure. Find out more and get covered at the SPPA.com. Now available, Pool Invoice. Pool Invoice is a pool billing software created specifically for the pool service and repair industry. It's developed for our industry and only our industry. Pool Invoice is built with reoccurring billing in mind. You can print, email, text invoices, or even send via WhatsApp. You can add reoccurring or yearly charges, accept credits, and set up auto pay. You can even see when customers have seen the invoice. It even has a customer portal where they can log in and see, print, and pay invoices. It has all your customers' information on one page, so you don't need to search through hundreds of invoices looking for the one you need. Just go to the customer profile and it's all at your fingertips. Created specifically for the pool industry, Pool Invoice. Now available at PoolInvoice.com. Blu-ray XL is the power of minerals working for you. Reduce your overall chemical costs and labor up to 50% guaranteed. Whether you have 20 accounts or 20,000, Blu-ray XL's direct pricing and free shipping to the pool trade have you covered. 
Improving pool professionals' profit and work-life balance is what they do. Blu-ray XL, the real mineral purifier. Visit them at blu-rayxl.com. Blu-ray all day. Aquastar's new pipeline cartridge filters, available in two sizes, deliver top-notch hydraulic efficiency along with best-in-class filtration performance, approaching that of DE filters. Uniquely designed, open pleat spacing means 100% of the media square footage is usable. And these claims are backed by NSF test results. Designed with the pros time and comfort in mind, the patented double-locking system improves safety and ease of access, making filter cleaners faster than ever before. Available now. Ask your supplier for pipeline filters today. Welcome back, everybody, to the Pool Nation Live podcast with Edgar, Zach, and John. John is out today, but it's me and Zach, and we continue our conversation about the three core segments. And today we're doing a breakdown on the operational things that have been sent in. So, Zach, I'm going to jump in right into the next one, and that is if I have my guys pick up chemicals at distribution, what checks and balances do you have in place? So obviously they're having their pool pros go to the distributor directly to pick up products, especially chems and stuff like that. For me, when it was just me, it was easy. I go, I pick up, I'm done. What I would do is I would always have a little bit of extra chemicals at home so that it would avoid from me being on a Wednesday and having to go start my day by going to the distributor and pick up a bucket of tabs or whatever it was or chlorine because you know how it is. You get there and it's not a walk in and walk out. You're flipping a coin. You could be there for five minutes or for an hour, right? So I always made sure that because it was just me that I watched my day to day and that I had for the stuff for the next day. As you start to bring guys on, and I learned very quickly with my second guy that I brought on, Zach, and that was that I would have them go to the distributor and I would have them go pick up their own chems and stuff like that because we would try to do the route to where towards the end of the day, they would end up close to the distributor in case they needed to get anything, they could come and pick that up, right? And so I thought, hey, that kind of makes sense. Let's do that. Well, there was one month, Zach, that all of a sudden I'm looking at my invoices and I had one guy that bought like $1,100 in chemicals. And I flipped out. And the next morning when he showed up to go get the truck and stuff like that, I'm like, whoa, 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 what, what's going on? You've gone through $1,100 in cams. You're going to break me, right? And so two things, which brought me to have to put other things into play, but he kind of comes out and goes, well, yeah, because I need the cams. And I'm like, it was spring. The water wasn't even, you're not even in summertime. And I'm like, why are you going through so much chlorine? And he's like, well, the pool would be at a three. So just to play it safe, I put in a gallon of chlorine. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, I got two problems here. I got a water chemistry problem and I got, a, I got an inventory problem. So it's costing me double. So at that point, I had to put things in play to be able to solve that problem. Now, I was very lucky at that stage that, and I hadn't done it before. I would just get the invoice. They would mail me the invoices and then I would sit and look at them. So I went to the distributor and then I put on that I would get a copy of every single time somebody bought something. So I would get an email. So if I was out in the field and all of a sudden I got a mess email from SAP, I would open it up. I would look at it, right? And then I can check on it right then and there. And I would be able to track 
what the guys are buying and how often they're buying. I knew that if I had a pool guy and he was buying way too much chlorine or way too many tabs or whatever it was, I could call them and be like, hey, this is like the third bucket of tabs that you're buying this week. What the heck is going on, right? So I had to put that in play. And again, I did the same thing you did. I'm going to put all these procedures in place and I'm going to do all these things and check stuff on a weekly basis. But then for me, that became too much work rather than just Let me get the emails, let me check, and then I'll have a big pulse on it. As you grow, that changes, and maybe you do need to now start stocking all those products, right? Because you don't want the guys driving all the way to the distributor. It costs you money and labor and time, wear and tear on the trucks, doing unnecessary trips. So as you start to grow, you do need to stock those items. And then eventually towards the end... I did get deliveries all the time of all these products and I did the same thing with the PAR for the chemicals and then I kept them in that place. But again, same thing, same story I'm trying to take is as you grow, those procedures are going to change. So what do you guys have in place, Zach? When it was just Justin and I, we would go to distribution every day, multiple times a day. And keep in mind, for those of those who have heard our story, we started with repairs. So We would go in and like you said, you never know how long you're going to be there. I would like to talk. I'm a talker, so I'd want to see how everyone's doing, what's going on, what's word on the street. Hey, I ran into this. So we could be there an hour. And when you do that or you put someone in a position where they're able to do that, that hour is a lot of wasted time in a day. The other thing is, is that as we grew and I started getting more in the office, Justin would still go get his parts every day. And it was an opportunity for him to say the famous question, do you need anything else? And he would be like, well, you know, while I'm here, let me get two of these. Okay, do you need anything else? Yeah, I might as well throw on some of these. And he could walk out of there spending two, three, four thousand $4,000 without even really thinking about it, no rhyme or reason. And again, if you don't sell those items, that's cash sitting on the shelves. But as of today, as I mentioned, we get everything delivered. So... I don't know, and I never, with the maintenance side of it, had the technicians go pick up the chemicals or get items, so I don't really have much input on that. But as far as managing waste and things and them using too much, I think having some sort of system where you get them delivered or you're the one to go pick them up, I think that's very important. Yeah, and the other thing that you think about it, and I go back looking to, remember when we did the podcast with Eugene from Prestige? Yes, So his inventory setup was completely different. Because he was servicing almost 900 pools, Zach, he had a mini distribution center in the back of his his building. And I walked in, and remember, this is when the freeze happened, and nobody had products, and I went over there. And I mean, he's got this thing stacked all the way up, right? And he's got forklifts to get things down and stuff like that. But what I'm trying to say is, As you continue to grow, those procedures have to change and go into play. And then it's even a lot more different, Zach, because in his case, he's a pool builder and a service guy. So he needs to track from multiple areas, right? What's going for the building because they've already budgeted and done all that for that job and estimated that. But then you have repairs as well that you're doing and stuff like that. So as your company grows and you get bigger and bigger, those procedures are going to have to change in order to be able to manage those. And then at that point, 
going to distribution doesn't make sense. Like he does everything by the pallet, right? And it's all delivered over to their place. So remember, as you grow, those things are going to change, but it's okay to have these smaller procedures in place for now. I think one thing that we've done that has been super successful is we get the deliveries and then I have one designated person that that fills the buckets and distributes the buckets every morning. And by having that person, that one hand in the cookie jar, one, it minimizes messes, spillage, things like that. It promotes quality control. And then also they can get a gauge on what every individual technician is using because they're the ones that are filling. So if they get someone that this week, everyone's used, let's say, very little bicarb, and you've got one person that has just blown through bicarb and then some, they know, okay, maybe there's something here that maybe they need some lessons on chemistry, maybe they're missing something or whatever, but they can bring that to our attention and we can say, okay, what's going on here and look at it further. Red flag, right? You're always looking for those red flags, especially when it comes to water chemistry. And again, I learned that the hard way, right? I had somebody go through $1,100 worth of chems before I was like, okay, so I need to put things in place. Because can you imagine, Zach, you end up with four guys, you're doing that? That's almost five grand in chemicals in a month. That's crazy. It gets away quick. And the bigger you get, we just had a discussion this morning before everyone took off about the deposit bottles. And every once in a while we get a case back and we're missing two deposit bottles. And it's like, where did these bottles go? But those two bottles we now pay for, which then increases the cost of that chlorine or that acid. And so it's those small details. If you're not paying attention and you're letting that fall through the cracks, that adds up quickly. Yeah, that's a great point. That's huge, especially as you grow. So Zach, let me jump into the next one. And this one they sent in to ask you specifically, and that is staffing and hiring. Zach talked about some of the hiring. Can he walk us through his process of hiring? Doing a lot of talking today. Everyone's going to get tired of you are, but you're killing it, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So hiring has been my hot topic for the last two years, and it's something I'm always trying to improve And as we grow and always finding things to add or to change. So I can speak to what we currently have going on, and I like to break the process of hiring into three separate pieces. And the first one's recruiting, the second one's interviewing, and the third piece is onboarding. And when I talk about recruiting, to me, this is the process of getting candidates attracted to your business. And how are we going to let people know that we are hiring and we have this opportunity? And how are we going to get them excited about this position? And I never looked at it that way in the beginning. You are literally trying to attract people to you. You're trying to attract the right people to you. So the first thing I work on with this is creating the job ad. And it's so much more important, the job ad, than what people probably think. Like I said, this is how you're going to make your first impression to attract people to your job opening. And the kicker here is how do you attract the right people to your job opening? And so I recommend, because we could have a two-hour discussion about this alone, but I recommend if you're to this point and you're looking into this, do a Google search on creating job ads because there's a lot of good information there on this. And this is something that seems like it's changing 
quarterly right now. Just when you think you've learned something, the next time you go to post your job ad, most likely something different is going to be the thing that attracts people at that point. I also go on to sites like Indeed, ZipRecruiter, things like that. And I look, I search like I'm looking for a job and I read other people's jobs from all industries. And you will see some very creatively written job ads out there. And it's all about standing out with those big companies because you have so many hundreds or thousands of people looking at those jobs that you do want to stand out. And just like everything else, there's a technique to it. Yeah. And unfortunately, the majority of the job ads I see out there are very basic, very boring, and it's not sending the right message about your company. So once we've got the job ad out, once we've started attracting the candidates, we start moving into interviewing. And when you first put out a job ad, at least from my experience, you generally get overwhelmed with applicants. And uh, I think that's more of when you put it on the platforms like Indeed or ZipRecruiter or some of these. If you just go post, which I've done in your local SAP branch, you're probably not going to get overwhelmed with candidates. So it's good to diversify where you're putting that job ad out. But so from there, we move into interviewing. And the interviewing is your opportunity to filter out the right candidates from the wrong candidates. And it's very important, and this has been a game changer for me, that you put an effort into this. And you can use questions, and we've talked about this a lot, to dig in and find out about their experience, their character, their personality. And you can see if those things are a good fit with your company. Now, what makes this hard is if you don't have an idea of what company culture you're trying to build, or at least an idea of your core values, then you can't really use that as, as effectively as you should be able to. So that's why we always preach vision and thinking about these things and putting it down on paper and having an idea of what you're trying to build there. You also, with questioning, and not to scare anyone, but you need to make sure and do some research that you're not asking unlawful questions because there is a fine line, there is an art to this, there is a right way and a wrong way. So you need to put in an effort and spend some time looking at questions. But if you Google interviewing questions, and a lot of times if I'm creating a new position, I'm creating a new interview to draw or to, I guess, gain the information that I need for this position, I'll do a Google search, I'll create a list of all these questions I find on there. I'll go through and reword some of them to fit what I'm trying to do and what information I'm trying to find. So there is a ton of that information out there if you just spend some time on the internet. All right, so after we've completed the interview process, we have to review candidates. We sit down, go through the questions, our notes, and then we've got to decide who the best fit is. And once we've got the best fit, we move forward with making them an offer. From there, we move into what I call the onboarding part, which involves filling out all the new hire paperwork, performing any required checks, whether driving, background, things like that, and then getting their training completed. The whole interesting thing about the hiring process is this is probably one of the most important things that you need to do as a business owner because you have to attract the right people. And if you're trying to find people that will have longevity, that will give you the customer service that you're looking for, right? Those are certain characteristics that you need to look for in a person. It's not just a matter of, oh, show up. Oh, he talked and he seemed like a nice guy. That's it. You're hired, 
right? And you'd be surprised if you sit and you do an interview properly, and that is setting up some questions that you want to ask, right? So if you're having a problem with an employee where they're not good with customers, what questions are you going to ask to that next candidate? They're going to give you the reassurance that they're customer-focused driven people, right? There's a strategy to it. You have to ask those questions. And I think this is one of those things that people are so busy that they don't put a lot of focus on learning the strategy behind the interview process. But this is going to be probably one of the most important things that you could do as a business owner because it's always about finding the right people to put in the right seat. And every position is a different position and you need to look for different things in different people. So if you're going to hire an office manager, that's going to be very different than hiring a pool tech. So it's critical that you spend some time putting a plan together, A, what are the qualities that that person needs to have? How am I going to ask the questions that ensure me that those are the qualities that they have? And then the bigger thing is, if you get those red flags during the interview process, don't hire that person just because you need the body. Because a lot of us get into that situation where like, we don't care, we'll just hire a body. And then it ends up backfiring on us. So for everybody out there, if you're going into hiring your first person, your second person, it's very important that you do a little bit of research, put a strategy together, look for the qualities that you're looking for, what they need to fill, and then go out and try to hire that person. And you'll be surprised. You'll be surprised at things that people tell you when you actually interview them and actually ask questions, not have a conversation because interviewing a person is not having a conversation interviewing a person is exactly what it's called, interviewing them to find out about their past behavior and how they've managed situations so that you get a clear picture. And I've interviewed people for customer service where they've told me that they got upset with the customer and they told them to F off. Would that be somebody that you want? But if I had a conversation and didn't ask them specific questions, I never would have learned that. And in my experience, I would say eight out of 10, roughly, people are working really hard to sell you on them, which that's what they're supposed to do. But there are people out there that are very good at selling themselves and they're not very good people when you get down to it. And so you have to be diligent and I don't want to call it a game, but you're playing this game of trying to dig that information. Like, come on, I'm looking for something. What do we have here? There's something kind of underlying. And by asking good questions, prepared questions with intention, when I plan my questions, I organize them in the flow that I'm going to go in. Because if I ask this question here and I don't get this information that I want, hopefully when I ask this question down here, I'm going to get that information if it's there. And so it's all premeditated. And to me currently, This hiring and interviewing and onboarding is the most important thing for our business. And the reason I say that is because our goal and our vision is to scale. And the faster and the more efficiently that we can bring on good people, cut cut out turnover and improve retention, that strengthens us to be able to grow. And the more good people you have on your team that do a good job and they're accountable and you have to manage them less, 
the more that empowers you as a business owner to spend the time you need working on your business and being able to work on those bigger picture items as far as growth and things like that. So I think a lot of people get nervous about this process and it's very intimidating. It's very scary when you first pull out the blank sheet of paper and you've never done it. But as Edgar always says, you've got to flex that muscle. You've got to flex that muscle. And I'm still flexing that muscle all the time and learning new things. But to me, this is, if not the most important, it's one of the top important things if your goal is to grow and have those employees. Yeah, and then as you grow, Zach, you'll start to have the conversations of, do I have the right people in the right seat? You'll start to hear that term. And if you don't have the, the right people in the right seat, you need to make those changes and you need to make that move. And hiring that person can really bring that stability and can get you that, to that growth a lot faster if you have the right people in those seats. Zach, let's do this. Let's take a quick word from our sponsors. When we come back, we will continue our conversation. The HyperPole from Ultimate Pool Tools is a pool care pole designed by pool professionals for pool professionals, featuring precision-crafted carbon fiber and stainless steel construction. Go to ultimatepooltools.com or Instagram at ultimatepooltools. Pool pros have specific needs when it comes to general liability insurance. The SPPA program has you covered. With three tailored and customizable general liability options, SPPA makes it easy for pool pros to feel secure. Find out more and get covered at the SPPA.com. Now available, Pool Invoice. Pool Invoice is a pool billing software created specifically for the pool service and repair industry. It's developed for our industry and only our industry. Pool Invoice is built with reoccurring billing in mind. You can print, email, text invoices, or even send via WhatsApp. You can add reoccurring or yearly charges, accept credits, and set up auto pay. You can even see when customers have seen the invoice. It even has a customer portal where they can log in and see, print, and pay invoices. It has all your customers' information on one page, so you don't need to search through hundreds of invoices looking for the one you need. Just go to the customer profile and it's all at your fingertips. Created specifically for the pool industry, Pool Invoice. Now available at PoolInvoice.com. Blu-ray XL is the power of minerals working for you. Reduce your overall chemical costs and labor up to 50% guaranteed. Whether you have 20 accounts or 20,000, Blu-ray XL's direct pricing and free shipping to the pool trade have you covered. Improving pool professionals' profit and work-life balance is what they do. Blu-ray XL, the real mineral purifier. Visit them at BluRayXL.com. Blu-ray all day. Aquastar's new pipeline cartridge filters, available in two sizes, deliver top-notch hydraulic efficiency along with best-in-class filtration performance, approaching that of DE filters. Uniquely designed, open pleat spacing means 100% of the media square footage is usable. And these claims are backed by NSF test results. Designed with the pros' time and comfort in mind, the patented double-locking system improves safety and ease of access, making filter cleaners faster than ever before. Available now. Ask your supplier for pipeline filters today. Welcome back, everybody, to the Pool Nation Live podcast with myself, your host, Edgar DeJesus, and the famous Zach, the pool boy, Nicholas. 
So today we are talking about the three core segments. Zach, believe it or not, so far we have about eight of them that were sent in. We've gotten through three of them today. So at the pace that we're going, we're going to have to do another podcast to be able to get through all the next ones because they're great ones. Anybody listening to the podcast, if there's any specifics, now would be the time to get the ones in for operation because once we finish the next podcast, we will jump on and go into the customer service, customer relations. So send those in. We'll get to the bottom of those. Zach, let me get your final thoughts. Yeah, we only got through three questions, but this stuff is so important. And I think it's important that we take the time to really try to dive in and break it down. And as I mentioned earlier, you can go as deep as you want with any of these topics, any of these questions. We could spend hours and hours and hours breaking it down or talking about it. But I think we've hit on some good things to at least get the ball rolling, get the mind going. Because as I always say, it's all about just that one gold nugget that hits the brain right and gets you thinking about what the next steps are and gets you excited to start putting some of these things in place. But like Edgar said, I would caution everyone to really prioritize what it is you're trying to do because I've made the mistake. I think everyone makes the mistake of having these really grand ideas of things to put in place or things to do. We talk about services and you get, if I buy this equipment, now I can offer this service. And then I have, you start doing that. It detracts from your goal and it causes the need for more time and energy and effort and money to put into another part of the business, whether that's an operational process or a new service that you want to offer. So just keep in mind what your priorities are, what you're trying to do, take it one bite at a time and get those things going. And as you grow, it will never be a process that you're finished doing. It will always be evolving. It will always have more needs and more effort to be put into it. It's not something you're going to sit down and tackle in one night. So just start tackling those top priorities. Once you achieve those, move on to the next ones. Agree. And the one thing that I am going to say is remember that the best thing for your business is what works for your business. So we talk about it all the time in the industry with regards to how should I do things, right? And some people will tell you, Zach, you need to do it like this, or you need to do it like that. Everybody's business is different. And so the best thing for you is going to be maybe a mix of the things that need to be done, right? So maybe you are at a stage where, shoot, you're in between too many guys and really need to level it to the next level, but you're not quite there. So there maybe is a couple steps that you need to put into play that we haven't talked about, but that's the right procedure for you, okay? Don't think, oh, it has to be either this or it has to be either that. And people always ask me, what is it that I need to do? What's best for my business? And that's always going to change based on where your business is at and where your growth is at. So just remember that as you're putting policies and procedures in place, as you're trying to fix these things, pick things that work for you and work for your business. Don't worry about what Edgar does. Don't worry about what Zach does, right? Don't worry about imitating to the T what it is that they do. Grab some of that information, tweak it, and make it fit your business so that you end up with the best procedure for your business. 
So anyways, Zach, I want to thank you for your time. It was really weird not having John on here today. John, we miss you, brother, and we'll definitely catch up with you. Believe it or not, this podcast will be out on Monday, Zach. And by Saturday, we'll be going into Christmas. So it, it feels really weird that we're there that close. And then the week after that will be New Year's, which will be even weirder. So it's almost like we go into this two weeks of kind of everybody on vacation and everybody enjoying their family. So we wish everybody a happy holidays. We will have a podcast for the Monday after Christmas. So I guess, Zach, this is our having to wish everybody a Merry Christmas, happy holidays, enjoying your time with your family. From the Pool Nation family to everybody out there, thank you for all of your support. Thank you for everything that you've done. We can't do any of this without you guys. We love you guys. We thank you for the support and have a great one. Happy holidays. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to the Pool Nation podcast, a member of the Pool Nation family. You can listen to us live every Friday here at 9 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Central, and 12 noon Eastern Standard Time. You can find us at Pool Nation or PoolNationPodcast.com, on Facebook, or on Instagram at Pool.Nation. And to find more info about Pool Invoice, the billing software built specifically for the pool industry, go to PoolInvoice.com. Before you go, this is what the pool industry has been waiting for, PoolManUniversity.com. It's the first platform dedicated to learning the swimming pool service and repair industry, a pool service community where you can connect and find videos on business, service, water chemistry, and repairs. See you there at PoolManUniversity.com.